welcome, Diane. I am so excited to speak to you. There is a lot that is going on in the world right now, and we need to kind of find a straight path to this happiness where we used to uh, feel that it was normal to be happy. Right now, we are very cautious about it. We are observant and more fearful than, than not. So you have written a, a book, Mindfully Happy. I, I would be loving to hear how do we wake up to this new life, new normal. Please take us there, Diane. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. So yes, we are living in a world that doesn't look like the world we were in. You know, I can't believe, but it's two and a half years later, right? Remember when it was two weeks to a month and here we are two and a half years later. Yeah. And it's even hard to say that we're in a new norm because everything keeps changing. So we're really in an ever-changing world. And I think that most of us, the best way to kind of deal with that is to remember, realize, and accept that change is the only constant. We're always going to have change. We always did have change. I know most of us fear change, right? Most people say, I don't want to change. I even have clients who say, I don't even want to change if the change is positive because there's so much fear behind it. But the truth is we have all been changing forever, right? You know, we went to elementary, to middle school, or junior high, to high school, maybe to college or tech school. You had different jobs. You moved out. You got married. We're always constantly changing. And we've made it through all of those changes. And it's something we have to remember. And we have to kind of lean into change and accept that it's going to happen. Because if not, we're resisting it. And whatever we resist adds stress. Always think of resistance adds more stress. So instead of resisting change, instead of fighting it, it's kind of embracing it and knowing that change is always going to be here. And whether it's unplanned change like COVID, like the lockdowns, like a recession at this moment, a war in Ukraine, or it's planned where you're making the change on purpose, whether it's a move, a job, you know, retirement, whatever it is that you're doing, change is still scary, but that you have the ability to get through it and not only get through it and survive, but thrive through it. So change is probably more what we're going to deal with. I, I kept saying the same words. I kept going, we're going to hit a new norm until I realized we never really did, right? We went to lockdowns. Well, I... I think the new normal is uh, teaching or, or, or is helping us to to break the walls of routines. Right. We can't expect anymore the, what it was. We have to like evolve. And I think the world is evolving and we are evolving with it. And it, it is required for us to to adapt to the new environment. So the new normal. Yes, we're definitely changing and adapting to it. And that's one thing that separates us from every other creature on this planet is that we have that ability to be adaptable. Yeah. And that is one thing that is amazing about being human. But I also want people to realize as much as we're adapting, it just does keep changing. Because, you know, we went from lockdowns to then, if you remember last summer, we were back in person. Then Omicron hit and we went back down in lockdowns. Okay. Now it's summer. And we're still all getting the variants, whether you're boosted, you have a shot. So it's key. And then there'll be more variants. Now we have a recession, gas prices. So we're always changing constantly. And if we always think there's going to be a new norm where we're going to stay, 
that makes it hard for people because then they get comfortable and then something changes three months later. So it's, it's kind of knowing we'll hit a new norm, but that will change again. And there'll always be a new normal. And that might be okay. You know, it's, it's okay to keep changing. Cause like you said, we're growing and evolving with that change. But again, we just don't want to resist it or fight it and add more stress. We want to lean into it. And I do want to point out when we have a lot of change that it's normal to have fear it's normal to have stress and anxiety. Those are normal parts of change. But I do want people to realize the difference between stress and anxiety because they are different. And there is a huge difference. When you have stress, there's a stressor in your environment, a trigger that's causing the stress. When the stressor is gone, so is the stress. But when it is turned into anxiety, even if the stressor is gone, we can still have all of those feelings of stress and anxiety. It could cause rumination. And that's when we're having constant thoughts all day that affect our focus, our attention span, our moods, our memories, our sleep, our eating. And that rumination turns into rumination of fear, worry, nervousness, excessive doom and gloom. And I do want people to know the difference because stress is normal as long as we manage it. But when it becomes anxiety, it's much harder to manage. And that's might be where we need to reach out and get help and, you know, get support. So just being aware of that for yourself and as well as for your loved ones, you know, to know that difference, but it is normal to have that fear and stress and anxiety with change. I always say that self-care and self-love is really a remedy, just a quick jump start to, mm -hmm. to, the, to the feeling a little bit more fulfilled, even if it doesn't last as long. Yes, you would need to seek um, help, but if you just get yourself down that far, just do something for yourself. And that's going to be a good step forward, right? Well, self-care and self-soothing are so important. Those are great points to bring up. So just knowing the difference, there's self-soothing, which is what we do when we're in, in the moment. When something is going on and we feel the nervousness, the anxiety, the stress, we're in the moment, we need to self-soothe. Self-care is really both. You can use it in the moment, but it's also preventative. So the more self-care we add into our schedules, daily self-care, the more we can prevent being burnt out from stress turning into anxiety, we can kind of prevent it. So we want to have coping skills that help us with both. And I kind of think of it as that emotional toolbox where you have certain, you know, tools that you can use on either. So if you are self-soothing or self-care, great way to do that is deep breathing. And deep breathing is so important because it does a few things. It helps reduce the physical signs and symptoms of stress and anxiety, as well as bring you back to the here and now. And when we're mindful, which deep breathing is, when we're having that mindfulness, it reduces your stress hormone cortisol as well, as, as well as lowering your blood pressure. So just taking a really big, deep breath where you inhale through your nose, hold for a second, exhale through your mouth, just for a minute or two can actually help you while you're in the moment of feeling that stress, that anxiety, that worry, that nervousness. And if you want to add to it, you could either do what we call the one, two, three technique or box breathing, which is just a count of four, the four sides of a box. And it's the same thing where you take that deep breath in through your nose, but you either do it for a count of three or four, hold for a count of three or four, and then exhale through your mouth for a count of three or four, just to really 
help relax. And if you can close your eyes, even better, but you have to be in a safe spot where you can close your eyes and help with the relaxation. But either way helps you with self-soothing as well as self-care. And another really easy one to do and so simple is chewing gum. I know that sounds funny, but chewing gum, the repetition of chewing actually, it improves your memory, which is a great side <laughs> for it, but it actually reduces your nervousness. So if you just have some gum or it's the repetition of chewing, something that you like to chew, celery, Twizzlers, you know, just that repetition can help you relax a little bit. No, that's perfect. Chewing gum is also helpful for the jawline. So that's another, another benefit because it strengthens the, the muscles. All right, I'm going to have to go buy more gum. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, yes. The only thing is when you open your mouth, when you chew the gum, it's not very polite. So be careful. Right. Keep your mouth closed when chewing. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Okay. So that's wonderful. And when I'm thinking that when we go and do the self-care, the yoga, the facial, the massage, at least we can control that. Right. And this helps our mind because if we can't control other things in life, at least we can control our schedule. We know this is what's coming up. So things like that would really be helpful to, to the mindset of, yeah, it's all okay. Just keep going and keep plugging in. Everything is going to be fine. Well, self-care really should be part of your daily routine. And it could be yoga. It could be going for a walk. It could be meditation. It doesn't matter what it is, but it should be part of your schedule. And this is the myth that we have to meditate or go for a walk and it has to be 20 minutes, has to be an hour. In all honesty, if you can do five minutes a day of self-care, yes. you can really get some benefits of it. And I want people to know that because I don't want them to go, well, if I can't do it for an hour or I can't do it perfectly, I'm not gonna do it at all. And what's really important, as you said too, is we wanna work on what we can control, not what we can't. You know, if we keep going after things we have no control over, it's like banging your head into a brick wall and expecting a different response. When you work things you have control over, you feel your power coming back. So setting your routine, setting your schedule, picking the self-care, really important. But the other things to remember with self-care is self-care is also preventative. So it's about some really simple things like making sure that you're getting enough water. Really simple. Like I keep my water right here. I'm going to take a sip. That's exactly right. That's right. what I do. Mm -hmm. Right next to your computer, making sure that you have enough water. Watching your diet is a really huge one. And just a few things here for mental health. If you have a lot of stress and anxiety, you want to really be mindful of your caffeine and sugar. I'm not saying don't have a cup of coffee or a cookie, but we're saying be mindful of it because it could give you the jitters and the shakes, which make you feel more stressed, more anxious. And it does that roller coaster ride of ups and downs. You, know, you get a high when you have that sugar or caffeine and then you crash. So you want to be mindful of that. And with alcohol, if you're feeling depressed, you want to be mindful because alcohol is naturally a depressant. So you want to watch your diet and remember water, diet and sleep because sleep really impacts our diet as well. When we don't sleep well and we're getting, you know, well, just to put it out there, the normal American pre-COVID only got four to six hours. That was the normal American. And I'm sure it's worse now with COVID and everything that's gone on. I just haven't seen any recent studies. The less you sleep, the more you crave that sugar or caffeine for energy and to keep yourself awake. So be mindful of how much sleep you're getting. And again, 
realistically, you know, they want you to get seven to eight hours. We know that could be hard with everybody's schedule, but try and at least get about six hours, if not more, for our cognitive abilities, our attention span, our focus, our concentration. The more we get, the better. And you know yourself, everybody works better on different amounts of sleep. Yeah. But, you know, seven to eight is the norm. And then you want to really pay attention to your exercise because exercise is so important. One, every time we exercise, whether it's a walk, going swimming, taking a yoga class, we produce endorphins, which is that happy chemical, while at the same time, we're reducing our stress hormone cortisol. So that's why we get that high feeling. But every form of exercise is also a form of mindfulness. And what I love is scientifically, one of the best ways to get mindfulness is to go for a walk. And that doesn't mean you have to go running or a jog just a nice paced walk. And the statistics show if you can walk at least four times a week for about 20 minutes, you can get some of the same benefits you would get from an anti-anxiety pill naturally. And when we're outside walking, we get the mindfulness of nature. And we also get the vitamin D from the sun, which is great for our immune system, our bones, great for COVID, but for mental health, it's great for your moods. This is why we always recommend extra vitamin D in the winter if you have seasonal affective disorder or the winter blues because it helps boost our mood. So make sure your basic needs are met. That is a really big self-care you know, tip, just watching all of those. Perfect. I see a lot of people walking in a park or even exercising in a gym with the foam in their face. Uh -huh. Really, this is something that I, I don't know if this is not obvious that you're not relaxing. You're not <laughs> breathing. So, yeah, being present is something that uh, we need to really practice. Even if, if, if you can't do meditation, which, which I choose not to, at right. least I get myself present in a moment. I focus on one thing that attracts my eyes, and I just think of that one thing for a moment. And that resets my stress level. Is that right, Diane? Yeah, there is what we call a grounding exercise that's very similar, very easy to do, and it brings you back into the moment. And that's what we have to remember. Mindfulness is about being back in the here and now, observing what's going on around you. Also, it's observing what's going on in your brain, but without judgment. And when we're in the here and now, we're our healthiest, our happiest, our most productive, our most creative, because when we're stressed and anxious, we're either in the past, thinking about what we should have done, what we could have done, regrets or carrying all that past baggage with us into the moment, yeah. or in the future having anticipatory anxiety where we're worrying about what if. But when I'm here, I'm calm. And the easy way to do it, what you're talking about, is this grounding exercise called 54321. And all it is is using your senses. And there is no right or wrong. You can use any order. And it's just doing, for example, what are five things I see looking around you? What are four things I hear? three things I'm touching, two things I smell, one thing I taste. And again, it doesn't matter what order that is in, but it just brings you back to the moment. And if you don't want to go that advanced of five, four, three, two, one, as you said, just use one of your senses and focus in on what do you see? What do you hear? What are you touching? And just so you know, self-touch is really great for self-soothing. We really like self-touch. So touching your arms, rubbing your hands together, touching yeah. your collarbone, touching a texture, if you like that, a blanket, a shirt, that helps us self-soothe as well. Yeah, I always say, if you just need a hug, give yourself a hug. Just yes. give yourself a hug. 
it feels good too. Yeah. It does. That's part of the self-touch. You can give yourself a hug, rub your arms, whatever works for you. Yeah. You know, I was driving a few months ago and it was at night. I was coming back from a speaking job and I was all the way out in South Jersey and it's pouring out and it's dark and I'm driving home and I didn't even realize it till like halfway through. I was rubbing my collarbone because one hand's on the wheel. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing the self-touch that feels good because your collarbone actually self-soothes you, which is why you see people touching here or playing with their necklace or their shirts because it's a calming area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's perfect. Thank you, Diane. That Those are really beautiful tips. So let's just, let me ask you if sure. we carry that stress into our beds at night, mm -hmm. do we wake up in the morning stressed out or, or, or should we meditate in the morning before we get out of bed to let go of those things? Which one comes first? So really important, a few things with that. Whatever you're thinking about 20 to 30 minutes before you go to bed affects how you sleep, if you sleep, how you wake up in the morning, and also how you dream. So before you go to bed, you want to do, and this could be part of your nightly routine as we were talking about routines before, you want something that winds you down. We want to have good sleep hygiene. So a few things. You want to shut off your technology 60 to 90 minutes before bed. I'm not saying the TV. I know people will yell at me. They want their TV. But any, like you said, the phones, the laptops, the tablets, put that away. And make sure whatever you're doing before bed is positive. It could be meditation. It could be stretching. It could be prayer as a form of meditation, gratitude. You don't have to do meditation where you sit and think like, um, or, you know, do guided meditations. It could be literally just prayer or gratitude. What, you know, what are you grateful for that happened today? Stretching is a form of mindfulness, whatever works for you. And you want to watch or read or do something that is very light and kind of fun or easygoing before you go to sleep so you feel good during your night's sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you wanna do something mindful too, just to reduce any stress. So I always tell my clients, when they wake up in the morning, a few simple things for morning routine. Make your bed. Sounds funny, but just making your bed literally gives you the two positive emotions of accomplishment and pride. And positive emotions cultivate happiness. So just by making your bed, you get a boost of happiness. And then simply, whether it's going for a walk, sitting outside with your cup of coffee or tea in nature and observing what's going on around you, whatever you are stretching or yoga, whatever you like to do in the morning. I have a lot of my clients do journal writing in the morning where they do what's called a free write, where they're just writing whatever's on their mind to release it. And that means there's no judgment. There's no spell check. There's no grammar check. You're just writing it out to release it. And when you're done, you can keep it as a journal or you can rip it up like you're ripping up the negativity, whichever works for you. But I think it's important to have both a good morning and evening routine. Afternoon, some people like that routine, but that's not as important because the morning sets you up for your day. The evening sets you up for your sleep. So if you can have some few activities that you do in the morning and the evening that will really help with your sleep and your day. And that's really important. And routines make you feel balanced. So balanced. Yes, yes, definitely. So during the COVID uh, with all the stresses on our minds, I've developed a, a very easy technique. I do not like to meditate per se. So I decided to, uh, my analytical mind would 
close the book at night. I literally closed the book at night, the book that I was living during the day. I settle it with your, my mind. I literally settle it. And as, as funny as it sounds, it feels so good. You literally just close the book. And then when you wake up in the morning, you are not having those thoughts. Somehow I am not having those thoughts of what had happened yesterday. And then I wake up to a grateful um, attitude. Mm -hmm. I'm happy about the sunshine on my face through the window. I'm happy about my dog just walking around. So those are the things that will help the night rest and then wake up in the morning. But journaling is also very beautiful. Yes. It's whatever works for you. Everybody is different. I meditate and I like meditating, but I have a lot of my clients who say, I can't meditate. I totally understand that. So it's what works for you. And you don't have to do the same thing every day. You know, if you wanted to go for a walk today, but tomorrow you wanted to journal, right? The next day you wanted to pray. It's okay. It's just doing one or two things a day to get you back in the moment or know, knowing during the day when your triggers are. Like if you know rush hour traffic is a trigger, if you know going to work is a trigger, seeing a specific person, then maybe it's doing that deep breathing right before that stressful moment to relax you. So it's really, you know, self-care is also about self-awareness. What works for you? What are your triggers? So this way you can prepare for what comes your way. You know, certain changes we can't prepare for, but we can prepare during our day knowing our, you know, our stressors and our triggers. Yes, everyone is different, definitely, when it comes to skincare, uh, self-care, or, or the mental uh, re relaxation. So yes, thank you. So what else can you tell us about how should we um, approach the, the new normal or the unpredictable? that it's happening. What, what should we wake up in the morning and think like, okay, today is going to be a fun day, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Is that how? <laughs> well, I actually think there's a few things. Uh, one, having the routine, it really helps because then you have some schedule routine and consistency in your life. So even if the world is changing around you, you still have some concrete things during the day. Yeah. So making sure you do have a good routine is really important. And it's not just good for you. It's good for the whole family. We work better when we have routine and schedule. So that's one thing, making sure, again, you know what self-soothes you and having a self-care routine. Again, even if it changes, making that part of your life is really important as well. But again, leaning into the changing and looking at ways to de-stress. So what works for you to de-stress? Because this is the thing. We can't live a stressful life. I wish we could. And if we get that magic pill, I'd be the first to be handing it out. But the truth is we're always going to have stress and that's okay. It's just as long as we manage it. And there's positive stress too, right? Like let's say you're getting married or you're moving. It might be, you know, the most exciting day of your life. You can't wait to get married. You're having a baby, you're moving, but it's still stressful. So it's knowing what de-stresses you and it could be the deep breathing it could be the grounding. It could be meditation. It could be self-talk as well. Talking back to the rumination in your brain. We all have self-talk. We have over 60,000 thoughts a day. So we're going to have talk. But it's really paying attention to that talk and thinking, is this negative talk? Is this, you know, because a lot of times you were saying before, we have autopilot, where we're just having those thoughts go on all day. And if we take a few days to be mindful of the words and phrases that we're consistently repeating that are negative, 
then we can challenge those beliefs. We can challenge those thoughts. So for about a week, I have my clients either write it down old school or talk it in their phone and start noticing the negative self-talk. And a lot of us have it. I'm not good enough. Nothing works out for me. I'm so stupid. Why do I always say stupid things? You know, everybody's talk is different, but we all have it. And then you can literally write it down and start challenging it and realizing, is this thought based on truth or fact? Is this thought coming from my childhood where I was hearing it from other people? So it's not even my own thoughts or belief systems. It's my parents, my grandparents, my siblings, whoever it is. Is this thought or belief system outdated? Maybe it was true 10 years ago, but not anymore. And challenging those thoughts and belief systems are really important because if not, we'll just be on autopilot because we, we literally get most of our beliefs between birth and about seven, eight years old. And we get them from the people around us. And all belief systems are, are thoughts that we heard over and over from other people. And then they became our own thought until they turned into a belief. But if we really take the time to challenge them and hear them, we can literally, we have the ability to rewire the brain and to go from negative to positive. Now, everybody has different levels. Some people are, you know, pessimists or realists, they call themselves. And that could be both genetic if you have mental illness runs in your house, runs in your family, or it's learned. And some people are more optimistic naturally. But we all have the ability to work on cultivating happiness and being happier than where we are. And the happier we are, the more resilient we are. So it is really important to try and cultivate happiness. Yes, the more happy, uh, the more the the happier we are, we look younger. So <laughs> Dr. Bruce Lipton said that yep. we are not victims to DNA or genes. We're mm-hmm. victims to our thoughts. We're victims to our beliefs. So I love Dr. Lipton. And now that I know that it's going to help me look younger. I'm going to really work on it more because I don't like the whole aging process. I admit that look wise. Yes. Yes. So don't look in the mirror. I always <laughs> avoid the mirror because that's where you start self-talk. Just Meanwhile, live. But this is all we do is look at ourselves. Exactly. Um, you know, it's so hard to not do that. When I was growing up and I had acne and you know what happens when you have acne, you just want to go and get it. And I created lots of scars on on my face because of that. And I said, one day I woke up and I said, as hard as it can be, I can test my willpower. I'm not looking in a mirror anymore. And it was so hard. It was so hard, but I didn't. I didn't. And now most of the time I don't, only when I put the makeup on. So it can happen, but this way you don't talk yourself down. Sometimes you talk to yourself so bad, you would never talk like that to your friend or a neighbor, but you talk yourself down. And, you know, after talking for a while like that, you be, you believe that. And that's the problem. Yeah, it's pretty quick. We believe it pretty quickly. And I didn't have acne as a child, but when I hit menopause in my 40s, I had cystic acne and I had a really hard time and I don't know how to wear makeup very well. So I don't have face makeup on because I don't know how to do it. I wish I had that skill because it can make you feel more confident, but it was a really hard time because we do pay so much attention and to remove that mirror would be a real positive. And it's hard to do. You're right. Especially for women. It is hard, but that's how you test your willpower. You just say it and it, it will happen. And it's only for good because when you're happy, you radiate, you know, like you were going for a first date in your life. 
you were radiating no matter what, no makeup, nothing. When you had a first baby, same thing. So you can radiate from inside out. Yeah. And it's contagious too, which is nice. So when people smile, one, they automatically produce endorphins again, the happy chemical. But when people smile, it's contagious. Like, do you ever pass somebody in the food store and they smile at you? And even if you're having a bad day, it almost forces you to smile and laugh. Yeah. Well, just smile. And you're right. It does radiate inside. But when we smile, we're just naturally more attractive. And we attract people to us because we look friendly and happy and then makes them want to smile. Moods and emotions are contagious. So smile. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much. We are going to definitely check out your book, uh, Mindfully Happy.